Hello, and welcome back to AMA Thriving in Private Practice, a 10-episode series exploring the unique needs of physicians in private practice settings. In this series, we talk about how to transition into the world of private practice, efficiency solutions, and other tips to free up time so you can focus on your patients. I'm your host, Carol Vargo, Director of Physician Practice Sustainability at the American Medical Association. Today, I'm joined by surgeon Dr. Daniel E. Choi, who is also a member of the AMA's new Private Practice Physician Section Governing Council. Dr. Choi and I will discuss the essential skills you need as an entrepreneur to launch your own private practice. Welcome, Dr. Choi. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to share my story. Great. We're so thrilled to have you. So why don't we start off with our listeners and dive right in and tell us a little bit about uh, the work of your practice and how you entered medicine. So I am a board-certified orthopedic spinal surgeon, and my specialty within spinal surgery is minimally invasive spine surgery. I did a five-year orthopedic surgery residency and uh, then moved on to a combined neurosurgical and orthopedic spine surgery fellowship at Harvard Med School, and that was focused on minimally invasive techniques uh, for spinal surgery. And I'm in solo practice in Long Island, New York. I cover two counties, Suffolk County and Nassau County. We have two offices. I started my practice actually during the COVID pandemic in February of 2021. Uh, Prior to that, I was part of a a large orthopedic spine specialty group that was also private practice for three and a half years uh, prior to opening my own doors. So what prompted you to go from a larger orthopedic group into solo practice? So the uh, previous group that I was with, it uh, was a great group. Uh, they had a great setup, and the practice was running very well. Um, it There were definitely some differences of opinions in terms of how uh, marketing should be run or um, how practice operations should be run. And, you know, I kind of, you know, saw some inefficiencies and, you know, thought that uh, perhaps, you know, I would want to implement my own ideas. I really didn't want to run my ideas by anyone who had to approve it. And, you know, I kind of wanted to run the show. I think that was really the big driving force. At the end of the day, I had a vision for what type of practice I would want my patients to experience, you know, from, you know, the initial phone call when they talked to the receptionist all the way to when they entered the waiting room and checked in to the medical assistants. I had a kind of a vision that I felt um, may not be completely uh, able to be accomplished at my old group. And so I decided to take things into my own hands and just start my own practice at that point. So that's fascinating because I think that vision is something that we know um, truly resonates with most um, independent private practices. But we know that there are um, a lot of challenges that come with forming a practice. So when you decided you wanted to go this route and execute on your vision, did you have any fears or hesitations when you first thought about doing that? And if so, you know, dive into those a little bit more for us. Yeah, absolutely. I I was definitely uh, nervous about 
starting something all on my own. Uh, we don't learn anything about running a private practice, which is essentially running a small business. We don't learn any of that in med school or residency or even being a young attending in a group or anything like that. That's really not uh, what you focus your energies and efforts on. You're learning about physiology. You're learning about organic chemistry. You're learning all these science, which is what you need to learn as a physician. But we really get no formal business training. We don't learn anything about human resources, about uh, compliance, about um, uh, reading profit and loss statements, uh, even you know writing a business plan to get a loan. Uh, none of that. Uh, all of it was uh, very foreign to me. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know, and but I did know that. I knew that I didn't know a lot. And so I think that the principles of learning something new that's very familiar to me, right? For physicians, we go through our entire training process conquering the next concept that we have to learn and the next surgery that we have to learn or the next uh, textbook chapter we have to learn. And I treated this big unknown similar to that. So, uh, you know, there's no textbook out there on, you know, how to start a private practice that probably there should be. Uh, but uh, there, there are some books out there. So there are a couple of physicians who have written uh, something, and uh, and and one of them was actually a urologist friend of mine here in Suffolk County. His name is Dr. Rich Shore, and he actually has a book. It's on Amazon. It's called Suddenly Solo. So I picked that up. I read it cover to cover, um, and I started asking questions. I called as many solo and independent doctors I could and started asking them about when they were thinking about going off on their own or when they started their own practice, what kind of questions were they asking and how did they get the answers to those questions? And so I tackled this almost like uh, any other type of unknown subject I learned as a physician to get that information. So I find that so interesting because I think one of your colleagues, Dr. Francovella, said something that resonated with me and that actually you articulated. She said, we're physicians we're some of the smartest people on the planet. And yet, for some reason, people don't think that they can learn how to run a business. And I, I think you've echoed that, where you've approached it like you would have as a new student being faced with a challenge and seeking out that information. And it sounds like that level of peer-to-peer -peer, um, discussion was really foundational for you. Um, would you agree? I agree. But I also think that there were definitely some early influences in my life that injected some entrepreneurship in me and also perked an interest in ownership and also starting my own business. One of them I, I can remember very clearly, one of these influences I can remember very clearly is a couple of my friend's parents. Uh, they were business owners. And I remember when I was growing up, I would go to their houses and their houses were really big and their parents drove really nice cars and they had swimming pools and they had, you know, all these really nice things that I remember looking around and just asking the parents, like, what do you do? And, and typically they were entrepreneurs, they were business owners. And uh, I remember that type of influence kind of rubbed off on me because I would hang out at their house um, and, you know, the parents were talking would also they're they're I think um my friends also were kind of entrepreneurial because their parents were, right? And those principles rubbed off on me indirectly. I, I think that uh 
I also was entrepreneurial uh, growing up. I remember that there was a time in high school where I was um, there was a time in high school where I was selling CDs out of my backpack of like mixtapes that I was making with a, a CD burner that I had at home, or I was tutoring uh, my classmates, uh, SATs, or you know other ways to kind of generate uh, extra income. And I think that type of influence uh, is um, was foundational to me too. And I think it's unfortunate that physicians, you know, they go this uh, straight route from, you know, pre-med college, you know, uh, med, med school and residency. And there really is absolutely no exposure to entrepreneurship and business ownership and what that means and what the potentials are for that uh, during that entire time. I think that even if there was a small amount of it or, you know, even a book that they read about that or was part of the curriculum, I think it could have made it could make a big difference in uh, a, a physician being interested in being a small business owner. I agree, and I think part of what we're trying to achieve by talking to you today is really spurring that entrepreneurial spark, if you will, in in many physicians. I think many feel as if they would like to try it, but because of some of the challenges that we'll get into, they're afraid to. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. So let's talk to you about what were the challenges you faced when you started your practice and how did you overcome them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that just to go back on what you mentioned about sparking that interest, I think that everyone, if they knew you know, how great it could be, everyone would go there, right? Everyone, would, everyone wants the best for themselves and their family. And I think there's so much fear of the unknown, which is totally uh I, I i don't blame physicians for being uh scared of the unknown we don't you know you have no clue whether you're going to start that practice and you're going to be a failure or you know it's really not going to work out for you um and so you know i think that it's really hard to get this information it's really hard to be like if i do this if i start my own practice will i have a better life will it be better for my family uh will it be better for you know, myself in terms of decision making or financially or uh, happiness level. And I think it's really hard to get that information, I got to tell you. And so I think the advice I would give is to talk to the independent practice doctors or solo practice doctors that you can maybe befriend in your community or even network with, maybe on social media, and try to have a personal conversation with them about you know, what is their happiness level? What is so good about them staying in private practice? You know, me personally, I could tell you that this was the best decision I made in my life uh, up to this point. I think that 14 months in, I'm in a better place in terms of independent decision making, patient care, financial stability, my ability to pay off my student loans. 
And if I knew 14 months ago what I knew now, obviously, it would have made the decision even uh, so much easier. And so I think that the whole principle of entrepreneurship and business ownership is that uh, there's one principle I kind of live by now is that, you know, there's no risk, there's no reward. And so uh, there is an element of risk with starting your own practice, but the rewards could be so much greater potentially. And so um, I think that, that if physicians had more, uh, if young physicians had more understanding of that, uh, they may uh, take more of an interest in entrepreneurship. So here you are 14 months in, it sounds like, into this um, you know, new vision, this executing on your vision. What are some of the most important things that you found that you needed to implement to ensure that you would be successful, recognizing you're, you're just 14 months in? And what were some of the biggest obstacles? What continues to be some of the biggest obstacles? So to get my private practice off the ground, the first thing I really needed was a business plan. And this is, we're talking about three to four months or even more prior to opening my doors. There is a ton of planning uh, that needs to happen. And so this is, I would say, pretty challenging to do for someone in training. Um, and so, you know, we can talk a little bit more later about whether you know, starting your own practice is possible or appropriate for someone right out of training. Um, but uh, there's a lot of planning that should be going into, there's a lot of planning that should be done to make sure that your private practice is successful. To be financially viable, you need capital. And what does that mean? Capital is just, you need um, financial reserves. You need money to start a business. And you need that money to rent a office space. Uh, you need that money to hire employees. You need that money to um, buy an EHR system and many other expenses that go into running a practice. And so to secure capital, typically the way to do that is to go to a bank and secure a loan. Uh, that's how I did it. I, I secured, I didn't really have a significant amount of savings. Another way to do it is to borrow from friends and family or use your own savings. Uh, usually at our stage in the game, when you're a young physician, you're paying off loans, you have a mortgage to pay, and uh, usually don't have a, a big amount of money set aside. And the amount of money you need is not, uh, uh, the amount of money that someone needs really varies from specialty to specialty, in my opinion. Some specialties like ophthalmology, I understand you have to purchase lasers that are expensive. Or if you're in pain management, maybe you need a fluoroscopy suite. So you need to purchase a uh, fluoro machine. And those are big capital purchases that you need to make to have in your office. I, as a orthopedic spinal surgeon, my office costs were actually pretty minimal because most of my work for surgery is done in a hospital setting. So the office space itself is pretty minimal cost. So these are things you have to think about, figure out what is my initial startup cost. And most of the time when you're a startup practice or any startup company, you want to be as lean as possible and minimize all your costs and really go down to bare bones. And you definitely need probably someone to answer your phones while you're taking care of patients. Uh, there's ways to hire an answering service for that. Uh, you may uh, want some type of manager type of person who can kind of take care of everything for you. You're going to need to think about billing, who's going to be doing your billing. 
you're going to need to think about utilizing what type of uh, a type of EHR uh, for your uh, to to store your medical records. So these are all some of the components that I incorporated into my business plan. Um, and to uh, write up a business plan, that is a whole other process. Um, I recommend a web-based service that actually helps you write a business plan. You actually just punch in all your information about all your expenses, and it actually generates a nice business plan with graphs that you can submit to banks. Uh, and approaching banks is a whole other part of the process, too, to obtain that capital. Uh, you will get rejections. I was rejected by probably seven or eight banks before uh, the last bank, you know, had me meet with the vice president of uh, the, the entire bank and read through my business plan. They wanted to look me in the eye. And at that point, they offered me my term loan. And once that was secured, I was in business and ready to go to open my practice. What was some of the feedback that you got from these banks? This notion that you were uh, denied by seven banks, I think is really worth digging into a little bit. Um, did you get any feedback from those rejections as to why? I think that there was not great feedback. It was mainly, sorry, it's COVID and we're not lending to anyone during COVID. And we're especially not lending to startups. I think it was more that they said, this is it's COVID right now. And uh, we really aren't lending to startup businesses. Regardless of my strong financial projections or anything like that, or that I could show that there was high demand for my services, uh, it didn't really matter at the time. I think that was circumstantial, maybe because of COVID, but and I don't know if it was just an excuse too, but uh, I didn't really get great feedback about why they were saying no. Uh, it was strange to me because I was, you know, showing them, uh, you know, also that I was doing well in my previous group and I had a referral network, um, you know, in the same geographical area and the banks uh, still uh, that said no, uh, it didn't seem like that mattered to them. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So perhaps it was circumstantial. And of course, we all know that COVID was uh, a challenge for so many small businesses in general. Um, but you you touched on another point in your answer just there that I really also was interested in, in digging more about, which is creating a referral network. And also to your point about interacting with the hospital, um, having privileges at multiple hospitals, obviously you're a surgeon, lining that up, um, and also dig in a little bit about how you handle insurance. Absolutely. So for certain specialties, hospital privileges are critical. You really can't practice in any community, let alone private practice, if you don't have those privileges. They're almost like capital themselves, right? They have like a financial worth to it. Uh, the fact that you can work at a certain hospital and every geographical area is different in terms of 
how easy it is to get those hospital privileges. Uh, every geographical area is different in terms of how easy it is to get those hospital privileges. Sometimes hospital privileges can take two months to get. Sometimes they can take up to a year to get. I've had one hospital here that took a year for me to get privileges. So if you think about it, if every hospital in the area is taking a year to get your privileges, that's going to really affect your business operations and your ability to open your private practice successfully. So that is something you would have to do some research on if you're in a surgical specialty or a hospital-based specialty uh, that requires such privileges. I think this also goes back to kind of thinking about whether you want to jump into your own practice right out of training is that I was actually fortunate enough that I had hospital privileges here on Long Island that were established with my previous group. And when I moved on to my own solo practice, those privileges don't, didn't go away. They weren't really part of my initial contract or anything like that. So I was able to transition pretty seamlessly into my own solo practice and still take my patients to these hospitals. So that is definitely a factor to take into consideration. And how daunting is it to contract with insurance companies as a private practice physician? It's pretty daunting and it, it's a pretty complicated process. Um, my practice personally, we are uh, not contracted with any commercial insurance, mainly for that reason. And uh, we've looked at the application process. We've heard from other solo practitioners that a lot of the times these insurers see you as one doctor and they don't, they will just won't accept you onto their panel because you're too small of a fish in the, in the pond and they don't want to spend the resources to onboarding you. Or I, I don't know what the exact financial reason is. I've just heard that it's very difficult uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, they ultimately don't even accept you into the network. Uh, because you're only a solo doctor. Uh, so I've decided to just stay out of network. Uh, we do we do take other insurance like no fault or workers' compensation. And we are also a Medicare provider. So uh, Medicare patients can see uh, me in my practice as well. Okay. So I've heard a lot of really great information in terms of um, your business plan also, all the you know large considerations you have to make in terms of are you going to be hospital based? Um, will you have the network? How will you handle insurance? So, with all of that, do you think the private practice setting then is for everyone? And really, how can one evaluate whether it is the right choice for them? Sure, that's a great question. I don't think honestly it is for everyone. And I think that there is definitely a sub-segment of physicians that would thrive in private practice. Um, I would say that there's some inherent challenges with the healthcare environment right now with consolidation and just issues that all small businesses face, right? There's staffing issues, difficulty um, uh, maintaining employees and um and also just the uh, insurance challenges, like I mentioned, trying to get credentialed by the insurance companies or even getting paid by the insurance companies. There's a big squeeze. And so it, it's not easy being a solo practitioner or a private practice physician. But I do think the way I think about it is that 
you know, if you think about, um, uh, you know, a bunch of boats in the ocean, right now you have a lot of mega yachts and like Titanics out there. You have a lot of consolidations. You have big companies that are running healthcare and uh, there's, um, and there's, there's a loss of agility that happens with that, right? I think that uh, these big, bigger companies, they, they provide great care, and I'm, I'm sure they provide high-quality care, and they're good at what they do, and they're well-resourced. But th- I think when you get that big, you also lose agility and the ability to respond to patient needs right away, um, and really also sometimes provide that personal touch that patients really appreciate from the patient-physician relationship. And I think that for the right person who has the entrepreneurial spirit, who is not necessarily looking for a nine to five and who may be willing to put in weekends and uh, look at this practice as their own little baby, it's like a project of theirs that will grow in value. It's like your nest egg that you're pouring your kind of heart and soul into. Um, I think that. Uh, this could be a great opportunity because every private practice or independent doctor I speak to keep telling me that uh, they've never been this busy. Uh, and I myself, my doors are just, uh, you know, patients are coming and pounding on the door. We're, we're booking, you know, uh, more patients than we ever thought was possible in, in my office. And, and the reason why I think is that patients are really craving that personal touch of that patient-physician relationship uh, and to, uh, you know, not necessarily kind of be lost in the system. Uh, and, you know, that may not be happening at every system, but uh, I think that that kind of uh, feedback I've received and a lot of independent doctors have received. And I think if you really value that as a physician and these uh, things are attractive to you as a physician, the demand is there and uh, you could do very well as a private practice doctor as well. Well, this has been really great to hear. Um, I think that you've touched on a lot of things that we are continuing to hear from physicians at the AMA. Obviously, the AMA, you know, represents physicians in all practice settings, and it absolutely is up to the individual physician to determine what is the best practice setting for them. But to circle back to where you started, I do think that we found that the private practice model, um, particularly in the last decade or so, just really has not had the level of exposure as a viable model any longer. And you coming here and talking about that, um, we're hearing from more and more physicians. And again, that more entrepreneurial spirit, I think, um, is back again. And I really appreciate your time, you know, sharing that with us. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. So, you know, I'm a big believer that independent practice is actually the solution to many of the issues we see in the American healthcare system today. Uh, we are seeing costs of care getting driven up, they're skyrocketing. We are seeing healthcare workers and physicians getting burned out. And we, I think the sobering statistic is that there's one physician a day committing suicide here in America. So I always think about that and I, I wonder, 
you know, what's driving those forces, what's driving doctors to literally, I think, hate their jobs or kind of be unhappy with, um, you know, what they're doing when we have one of the most meaningful professions in, you know, ever, right? We get to help people at work. And I, I think that there is just a lot of the consolidation and the corporatization of medicine is driving that burnout. And I think that independent practice puts medicine back into the hands of physicians. It gives us control over all aspects of decision-making of the patient's care. You're not sitting there uh, doing conveyor belt medicine, getting forced to see 30, 40, 50 patients a day um, and uh, feeling like you have no control uh, over your lifestyle and your hours. And I think that uh, if we can try to fix the regulations that are really squeezing private practice and we can uh, make our elected officials aware that this is the model that we believe is better for patients and for the healthcare system, I think that we will fix a lot of the problems that we see in today's system. Well, the AMA agrees with you, and and we are working tirelessly through um, some of the work we're doing on private practice sustainability, as well as with our advocacy team to really um, remove those obstacles that are getting in the way. So again, Dr. Choi, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy practice, for joining us and sharing your thoughts about entrepreneurship and medicine with our listeners today. So thank you again. No problem. It's my pleasure. For more information and resources for your private practice, visit ama-assn.org forward slash getting started. I'm Carol Vargo, and until next time, this has been Thriving in Private Practice. Thank you so much for listening.